No, hey, good morning. It's, uh, it's good to be here with you this morning. Um, I don't know about for you. I know for me, this Advent season has been really great. Um, I, I, you know Aaron, now Dr. Bacon, finished his doctorate, and, and then now I have the opportunity to pursue my master's in biblical theology, and I just started that this semester, and, uh, and I, got to, I spent the last four months looking at the Old Testament and really looking at the expectation of a Messiah who was going to be coming to fix what sin had broken in the world, and it, it hit me. That uh, that night we did the chosen movie here, the cho- uh, the Christmas special. It just kind of hit me that night. I was like, "Oh my goodness! I've been celebrating Advent this whole last four months, and it has been such a rich and beautiful thing for me uh, because as I studied and as I as I worked through it, I was like, Jesus, we need you. We need you here, and." I think we all agree that the themes that the Advent emphasizes are things we desperately need. You know, we need we need hope because not only do things often seem hopeless, honestly they are hopeless. Our only hope is in Jesus. We need love, not just the sentiment, but the actual covering of love that seeks to protect, seeks to grow. The kind of love that God has shown us. We need joy. Something that goes much deeper than circumstantial happiness. Something that's going to help us weather the difficulties and the storms in life. And I think we long for peace. We long for peace. And all these things, as we celebrate this Advent, are found in Emmanuel, God with us. You know, I, I think oftentimes, as Pastor Aaron has already said, we, we think of peace as the absence of hostility. And so we, when we think of the lack of peace, we often think of war, and the conflict of war. And uh, if you were to just define war as conflict that has resulted in the loss of a thousand or more people, New York Times did a study in 2003, and they said of the last 3,400 years... Only 268 years of that recorded history is recorded as peaceful, meaning that there was not a war that had casualties of more than a thousand. There was certainly still war going on. Uh, Doing the math, that's only 8%. 8% of the last 3,400 years have been peaceful. Now, some of you, you may be shocked at that stat. Wow, only 8%. Some of you, especially with younger kids with lots of siblings, are going, well, that's better odds than what I'm experiencing in my house right now. <laughs> All right. <laughs> no, the, the truth, though, is that when it comes to war and a lack of peace in that sense, mankind has been well acquainted with that throughout most of our history. But the biblical definition of peace goes farther than just the absence of hostility. It also includes the welfare of a person, their safety, completeness, Their wholeness. As we've already talked, the Hebrew word this morning for peace is shalom. We see this word being used by David, all right, Uh, not just as a way to say peace to somebody, but also as a way to find out how someone is doing. So when David goes to see how his brothers are doing before they're fighting Goliath, if you read in the text, he asks, hey, how is their shalom? How is their peace? Are they well? So we see that other places in the biblical text, 
it's not just a way to say peace, but it's a way to ask, hey, how are you doing? So shalom is not just the absence of hostility, but it concerns the welfare of the whole person. It is commonly used as a greeting. Shalom is also, in many cases, used as a blessing. Number 6, 24 through 26, you may recognize this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace, give you shalom. You know, what a, what a beautiful passage to pray over someone, to offer as a way of blessing. But tell me, when I read that passage, that something inside of you didn't say, yes, Lord, I need that. I believe we long for this peace because we are created for it. So, this morning we're going to talk about Emmanuel, God with us, brings peace. If you want a brief outline of where I'm going, first, I want to talk about the loss of peace. Second, I want to talk about the Messiah who not only brings peace, but is peace. And lastly, I want to talk about, well, how do we gain that peace? So the loss of peace. You know, Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We know the story well. But we have to start here because we have to understand the lack of experience of peace in the world today started from the beginning. You know, verse 2 says that the earth was formless and void. Now, it's easy to skip over this part because we get right into the creation narrative of God speaking things into existence. Uh, But what is the author saying here when the earth is formless and void? The Hebrew phrase that we translate formless and void is tohu vavohu. You know you want to say it. Go ahead. Tohu vavohu. Some of you are going, that sounds like tofu. And it's not, all right? Uh, it's, it's this Hebrew phrase that we're translating formless and void. It only appears this way in Genesis 1-2. You have parts of it, like in Deuteronomy 32-10, where that first part of the phrase tohu is translated as uh, a desolate, uninhabitable wilderness. It's chaotic. It's not good for man to live. And here, in Genesis 1-2, we get the idea that this formless, voidless earth is uninhabitable. It's chaotic, even. Man cannot live there. But what happens? God brings order. And by the time mankind is brought to the scene, they have this perfectly ordered creation, set in the garden, all their needs taken care of. And we get this amazing picture of what a world without sin looks like. No shame, no guilt, no need, no barrier between man and God. It was a world at peace. And it was beautiful. But we know what happens next. The snake tempts Adam and Eve. Man rebels and sin enters this peaceful scene. And we begin to see mankind's sin bring chaos to God's perfectly ordered world. In that moment, the peace between man and God was broken. The peace between humanity itself is broken as they begin to experience shame of one another, guilt. And humanity and what happens to creation starts to look more chaotic, starts looking more like tohu vavohu than God's perfectly ordered world that he had created. We see relationships strained, Humanity experiences shame, 
Cain comes on the seed, he commits murder of his brother, and humanity's sin seems to grow and grow until Genesis 6 comes along and it says that mankind's sin had just grieved his heart. And he sets out to flood the world. But he saves one family who he deems as righteous, Noah. He builds the ark and as soon as things are clear, he comes off and you read the story and not soon after, Noah, who was declared righteous, guess what? Sins. Sin rears its ugly face again. And so once again, we cannot help but bring the chaos of our sin back to the earth. And as you continue through the story, though sin of mankind seems to be just as bad as the pre-flood, God promises not to destroy creation in the same way. Instead, we see a promise given, a promised snake crusher, a Messiah, one who would crush the head of the snake, tempted Adam and Eve from the beginning, sin would be defeated, one would come and bring peace. Now, the rest of the Old Testament, if you were just to give a bird's-eye view, uh, seems to show us this cycle of mankind sinning, of Israel, causing chaos and destruction, and God making provision for them to atone for their sins and to be in a relationship with them, just for that relationship to be broken again by their sin. Now, at times, we get these beautiful pictures in the Old Testament that remind us of the Garden of Eden. They remind us back of how it used to be. We see the nation of Israel for times seemingly at peace. And you can look at examples of when the Israelites are obeying the Lord, things would go well. You look at when the tabernacle was built. The law was given. There was a covenant made between God and Israel, and there was great rejoicing, a big celebration. The Israelites would camp around the tabernacle in the presence of God. It was a picture of the garden, mankind once again living in God's presence. Or you can look at the stories of David. You have this young man who has this fervor for the Lord. He has the confidence in who his God is. And when Goliath mocks the Israelites and their God, David rises up and declares, Today you will know that there is a God in Israel, for today he will deliver you into my hands. We see David, through difficult circumstances, become king of Israel. And God promises him, David, as long as you follow me, your kingdom will rule forever. We see things going well, but we also know how the story ends. Sin enters in, and David's adultery and murder, and the whole nation of Israel, not just David, David, he is personal loss. He loses a couple sons, actually, over the whole thing. And sin dis- disrupts the whole thing. You look at Solomon, he builds the temple. He asks God for wisdom, and God gives him wisdom unlike any other human being he's ever given. So much so that the nations would come and seek Solomon out because they had heard of his wisdom and his riches in the temple. Beautiful. But what happens? Sin enters in. And you can keep following that line throughout the Old Testament, and you see every, every time that... Uh, Mankind, or either Israelites or anybody, seems to be allowing God to rule in their life. Things go well. Things are at peace. But when they try to usurp God's authority, chaos breaks out. And it results in mankind doing unthinkable things. Hostility breaks out among the people. Peace, though longed for, seems always out of grasp. 
And to this day, mankind will find no peace with each other until they find peace with God. I believe we recognize this. We long for peace. We long for a sense of wholeness, a sense of safety, and certainly a time of no hostility. So weaved into these stories in the Old Testament is this expectation of a Messiah, one who would be able to right the wrongs that plunged the world into chaos from the beginning. He would be the one who gives the fatal blow to the serpent. He would be the one who would replace the sinful heart, the heart of stone, with a new heart of flesh that would be able to love and follow God, as we see indicated in Deuteronomy 30 and Ezekiel 36. Isaiah prophesies about this Messiah 700 years prior to the birth of Jesus, and he says, For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. This must have been a great hope to those who knew it. For the people of Israel were not a people at peace. They had been in many wars. And at the time, the writing of Israel at the time, they would soon be exiled into Babylon. They would lose the promised land, the temple, everything that made the life of an Israelite what it was. They were about to lose it all. And in the middle of that chaos, a prophecy is given that there would be one who would rule forever with justice and righteousness, and he will be known as Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. So fast forward now, 700 years later. Can you imagine with me the joy that the shepherds must have experienced in Luke 2 when an angel announces Jesus' birth to them? Luke 2 says that, And suddenly a multitude of heavenly hosts began praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to the people he favors. Peace had finally come. Or imagine, just later in the story, Simeon, who's described as a righteous and devout man, looking forward to Israel's consolation. That is Israel's comfort, their salvation, their peace. And he enters the temple where Jesus is, a baby born just days before, and he praises God and says, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace. As you promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Just seeing the Christ child brought peace to Simeon's soul. For he knew this child would bring about the salvation of many. You see the same story of Anna, who had been praying and fasting for years. And on the side of Jesus, she begins giving thanks to God and speaking all to those who were also awaiting the redemption of Israel. You see, the same way that Simeon and Anna recognized that peace was a person, we need to recognize the same thing. Jesus is our peace. Peace does not start as a state of mind that one must practice to obtain. It is not the result of clearing your mind in war. It's not the document of a ceasefire Whatever you do to bring peace, this is not the start. These things may bring a temporary sense of peace, but actual peace starts with the person of Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us, 
Jesus is our peace. And he makes us peace, he makes us at peace between us and God, and in doing so he will bring peace to mankind. He brings wholeness to humanity. John sixteen thirty three says, Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Peace is a person. Ephesians 2, 14 says, For he himself, that is Jesus, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in this, his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Peace is a person. There's a beautiful song we've sung together here before called Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me. It starts off like this. What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness, and freedom. My steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. If you are looking for peace this morning, look no further than Jesus. So how, do, how does Jesus bring peace between us and God? You know, for those who trust in Jesus through his death and resurrection, our sins have been forgiven, making us righteous before God. We are now able to enter his presence. This is what Romans 5, 1 through 2 says. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have a peace with God, we have peace with God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Colossians 1, 21 through 22 says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by the Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Through Jesus' death on the cross, he bore our sin, he took the penalty himself, he took our hearts of stone, and he turns them into hearts of flesh, and we are made at peace with God through faith in Jesus. Now, leave it to the youth pastor to tell us something we already know. You're like, yeah, we just went over that. We just did communion. Listen, we will never exhaust the depth of the gospel. It's so simple to understand, yet has a depth that we will continue to explore. But I want to reiterate that gospel message for you again this morning because I would venture to guess that some of you here this morning have a lack of peace about your past. You worship here Sunday mornings, but you wonder, does God really accept my worship? And so I just want to say this very clearly. By placing your faith in Jesus for his forgiveness of your sins, by following him as your Lord and Savior, you have made, been made holy in the sight of God without blemish. You are free from accusation. You are at peace with God. Rest in that. Celebrate that. What gift of grace is Jesus our Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is our joy, our righteousness, and freedom, our steadfast love, our deep and boundless peace. Jesus has brought us peace with God. Not only do we have peace in our standing with God, but Jesus offers peace within us. Jesus says in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Now notice that this peace is in contrast to what the world gives. 
If you search for personal peace by looking to the world, you will search for it your entire life and still never find it. You will not find true peace in your wealth. You will not find true peace in your job, your fitness, your service to others. For some, it's not that you're even trying to find peace, but you're just trying to escape the chaos. You might be turning to entertainment, to alcohol, or other pursuits. And many times, instead of finding peace, it only creates further chaos. But Jesus offers peace. That is a wholeness that we so desperately need. A peace that keeps us calm in the storms of life because we know the one who sits on the throne. And not only do we know the one who sits on the throne, but he actually promises to be with us. Familiar with the Great Commission found in Matthew 28. It says, And Jesus came to them and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of age. He promises to be with us. Now, I think often when we reflect on this verse, we listen to how it starts off in verse 19 where Jesus declares his authority. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth, therefore go and do this. And we look at that and we're like, well, Jesus is hearkening back to the authority he has and he's given us a command. All this is true. But have you ever also considered what his authority may mean when he also says, I promise to be with you? Jesus, who has all authority in heaven and earth, promises to be with you. If he didn't have any authority at all, and, but he promises to be with us, it's okay. But it's not, it's not what we need. We need God with us. Consider for a moment the story of Jesus and the disciples on a boat. In the Sea of Galilee, a storm comes, and it was such that the disciples were afraid for their lives. But Jesus was asleep. The disciples wake Jesus, and they ask him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Jesus wakes and then says to the sea, Peace, be still, and the sea immediately calms. This is the same Jesus who calms our hearts. The storm was no threat to Jesus. In fact, I wonder if the disciples truly understood who Jesus was. We see, we see their reaction after Jesus calms the, the storm. They say, they were actually afraid. What man is this that can tell the, the wind and the storm to stop and it obeys? And it makes me wonder if, if the disciples actually knew and understood in that moment who Jesus was. Would they even have woken woken him up at all? The Prince of Peace who rules all things was in their presence. Now, I've got something to show you. I don't know if everybody will be able to see this. I'll just take it off here. Um, when I was in doing my undergrad, I spent six months in East Asia. And uh, that's not somebody who is chopping or doing a karate move, all right? <laughs> Uh, this is, this is uh, Jesus calming the storm while the disciples are looking in fear. This is called, it's a boutique. And so what happened is, uh, to make this, they will take wax and they will draw on the cloth and then they will dye the cloth to get the different colors. Now, guys, where I, where I got this was at some really hard-to-reach village 
hours to get to in East Asia. And uh, I'm there, and in the 1900s, a missions organization was there doing their work, sharing the gospel, making translations. The people group they were working with was a minority group who did not have a written language, so they were working on giving a, a written language. And through various circumstances, that missions organization was chased out of the country. And to this day, in that little village, actually stands uh, some tombs of missionaries that lost their lives during that time. It's around the 1920s. And so here I am showing up, and we find this shop, and it's filled with boutiques of stories of Jesus. And we got, we're asking them, do you guys know what these stories are? They say, no. All we know is that some foreigners love to buy them. <laughs> Just outside, as we had walked to the store, there was a tree. It was filled with incense and different things. We call it just a spirit tree. And they would be there sacrificing to their ancestors. They would be there trying to appease the spirits so that they would not have to live in fear of them. And yet they would have stories of the one who could bring them peace right there. Just, just right there. You know, also, one of the cool story I learned from another missionary who was there serving at the time. Um, a lot of witch doctors in the villages. And uh, this woman, she would minister to this people often, and they, it came a time where we, she noticed that every time she would come into the village, the witch doctor would leave. And eventually she asked, hey, why does the witch doctor leave every time I come into the village? The people said, well, because she says she loses her power every time you walk in. Jesus has all authority. He has overcome the world. And he is with you. So how do we obtain the peace that Jesus offers? Paul says in Philippians 4, 6-7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will God guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So it is through prayer, communion with God, that we cast our burdens and our anxieties to God, and we offer our thanksgiving for his provisions that he's already given us. And because he cares for us, Scripture says that God, that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, meaning this is a supernatural peace, Others will look at your circumstances and they will say, I do not know how or why you are so calm. And God will use that peace to guard your heart and your mind. God cares for your heart and your mind. I want you to hear this because we see in the book of James, we see it in the book of Peter and other places, that God will use the circumstances of the life of a believer, hardship, the chaos of the world. And instead of allowing that chaos to bring insanity to the believer, God protects the heart and the mind. He grows the believer and begins to transform the believer in the likeness of Jesus. And Jesus brings about peace in that person. 
during my studies, I came across a uh, story of an early Christian martyr. Her name was Perpetua. She was killed in the year 203. She was found out that she was a Christian, openly professing her faith, and the Roman authorities singled her out, probably because she was from a prominent, wealthy family. They thought she would be a, a good example. And, uh, and brought her to prison. She had a family. She had a newborn baby. She was taken to prison for her open confession of Christ. She's brought to trial many times. She actually, you can actually, it's a diary of sorts where she chronicles her experience in prison. We still have that today. And every time that they took her to trial, they gave her the option to sacrifice to the emperor, to renounce her Christian faith. She was even told by her parents to do so. Think of your baby. Think of, think of the family. But she wouldn't, and eventually the Roman authorities condemned her to be killed by animals. Now listen to this account, though, before her execution. It says, Far from being enraged or terrified, Perpetua returned to prison in high spirits. Again, people began to take notice. Perpetua writes about an experience in the prison in which one prison guard was so moved that he, in her words, began to show us great honor, realizing that we possessed some great power within us. She had a peace that surpassed all understanding, and even in the face of death, it was the testimony of Jesus' power within a believer that was causing a Roman guard to take notice. Jesus offers that peace to us too. I'm going to make one final point this morning. Where there is a lack of peace, there is a lack of the reign of Jesus. I want to read a few verses out of the book of Colossians. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus is preeminent. Colossians 3.15 says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. You know, we live in a world that is divided on every subject. We live in a world that you could call is chaotic and very far from peace. We live in a time that has been incredibly divisive. I don't even need to give examples. You already know. All right? That's, it's, it's just blatant. <laughs> but it isn't surprising. The world doesn't look to God. They look to themselves. And as biblical history already illustrates for us, it leads us to all kinds of terrible things. The world has not yet chosen to follow Christ. And because they have not submitted to his authority, they are not at peace. But church, 
Unlike the world who hasn't chosen to follow Jesus, we have. May it be true of all of us that Christ is preeminent in our lives. That the peace of Christ would rule in our hearts. That we would be known as peacemakers. That we would be a fellowship of believers united. Who in a chaotic world possess a peace that surpasses all understanding. Because the one who rules our hearts has overcome the world. James says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? It's not the spirit of God and war with each other, with believers. It's our own passions. So let's continue to look to Jesus, our peace. Let him reign in your hearts. And let's take the exhortations of scripture seriously about being at peace with all that we are able to. This is possible because Jesus, our Prince of Peace, our Emmanuel, is with us. You know, as we celebrate Advent, we also look forward to a day where one day Christ will return and he will reign. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess, Jesus is Lord. And as a result, there will be peace. A wholeness brought back to creation that will restore what was broken so long ago. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for Jesus, our Prince of Peace. He has taken our rebellious hearts and made them at peace with you. And through Jesus, you are bringing peace, you're bringing wholeness to all of creation. And Lord, we look forward to the day when that is finalized. Lord, when when you come again. Lord, I ask that you just continue to teach us the depth of your peace. And Lord, if we find that peace does not describe our lives now, Lord, will you give us the grace, the conviction of the Spirit that is needed to understand why? And then allow us to follow through, Lord, in repentance and thanksgiving. Lord, we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.